to the age of like 12 or 13, and they were, um, I got a lot of kids in the room, so I'm going to say this gently. They were, they were offenders. I don't know if that makes sense. They, they, uh, um, and and they, the reason this program existed, our agency backed up and they said, well, we want to have a treatment program for the lepers of the 20, you know, the 20th century, the people nobody wants around, right? You know, the people that, that folks look at just, you know, and don't want to touch them, don't want to stand too near them, don't want to, you know, let them sit near us, you know, at, at the movie theater or anything. Like, you just, you know, the, the, there's kind of a scary thing there, right? And these are, I mean, these are sweet kids for the most part. I mean, just really neat, you know, neat boys. And, and um, when I became chaplain there, uh, it was interesting that the man who ran that program, he was, he was in his 70s. He was a very devout Methodist uh, fella, and, and he, um, their program didn't go to church on Sundays. They, they didn't take these boys to church. And I, I scratched my head at that, and I, finally I set a meeting with this guy, and we sat down and we talked about it. And he said, you know, we have had a hard time. We sent them to church for um, almost three years at this place in town. And um, the pastor and several of the elders and the youth pastor knew what they were there for, and they were they had their own reserve section, you know, and they like they had name tags, their own printed name tags, so that and people would come up and say hello and shake hands with them, and um, they were friendly with them, and they were really warm and welcoming, and and then one Sunday, we showed up and the reserve section was gone, and the name tags were gone, <laughs> and you know it it had changed very suddenly, everything was different. And, and um, Steve was the name of the program director. He went and sat down with the pastor, and the pastor explained, well, a few of us knew, but it got out. And then all of a sudden, everybody knew, and I almost got fired, and we love you all, but you're not welcome anymore. Oh. So they turned around, and they said, well, how can we take these kids to church if they're going to show up, and there's the potential folks are going to be afraid of them? Um, it's a terrible thing, Right. And, and, and for a long time, they just didn't take the kids to church because they were afraid of them being burned. And, and um, eventually we got them set up, and, and in the new church that we got them going to, um, up front they said, look, we're going to tell a lot of people, we're going to protect their privacy, but we're going to make sure that it's not a surprise. And they started inviting the kids to youth group, and they started inviting them to like Sunday school. And these kids, they had really careful rules about how they were allowed to interact and everything. But, like, they went from one place where they hid what they were, like, hid their background, hid their, um, their like, personal scars, and they hid it because they, they you know, because they were afraid of how folks would react. And they went to another place then later where they said, look, you know what? These guys are broken. They've got a broken past, and Jesus still loves them, right? Jesus still died for them, and we're going to treat them like folks that Jesus died for. And they were up front, and they said it over and over again, and it was night and day. Um, it, was, it was actually, it was amazing. It's one of the best things I've ever seen, coming out of, honestly, one of the roughest things I've ever heard from a church. And I, it's hard to blame them. I mean, honestly, like, it's easy to say, oh, well, that's terrible. I don't know. As a parent, that would be hard for me. How about y'all? I mean, it, it just, it's hard, right? Um, as we talk about Christmas, and we're going through this series um, where we're, the series is Christmas Changes Everything. And, and if we believe the story of Jesus is true, if we believe that God's Son came to this earth 
and became one of us to live the life that we live, to face the temptations we face, to, to hurt the way we hurt, to struggle the way we struggle. Like if we believe that that's true, then as an event in human history, it's not a small thing, right? I mean, you're talking about something that, that should change everything in the world. And, and so what we've been talking about here over the last few weeks, um, we've been talking about how Christmas should change everything. It should change absolutely everything. And at the base of it, at the foundation of it, um, it should change how we look at each other. Um, it should change how we perceive each other as people. Um, because it's very easy to back up and, and look at, you know, a young man who, who, you know, is an offender and say, well, it's, it's a little like a rattlesnake, Right. You know, he, he might not hurt you bad. You just got to be super careful and not stand too close, right? To this is a human being that God loves. And it's a huge transition, isn't it? I mean, even looking at some of the most, I mean, there's some, there's some bad people in the world. And who Jesus is um, should change how we perceive everything. And so as we talk this morning about how Christmas changes everything, that's where we're going to go. I want to give a couple of background. Like the first week we talked about... Um, how Christmas is God drawing near. He's creating closeness where there was distance because of our sin and because of the brokenness of the creation. Um, last week, we talked about justice and mercy meeting, that God's justice for sin like, is met with his mercy and his forgiveness for us, right? And if that mercy and forgiveness is true, right? Again, it comes back around. If it's true, if we believe the story of Jesus is true and God has mercy for us, it means that no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what you had done to you, no matter what you've done to other people, no matter what your past and history and everything, in Christ you can be made brand new. Out of the box, clean, perfect, brand new. Um, does it mean you don't struggle with your own sins? No, you're going to struggle with your old sin, but you are created new. Um, and so this is kind of an extension of last week. Um, and, and so we're going to dive in actually in Luke 14, which isn't a traditionally Christmassy verse. Um, but we're going <laughs> we're gonna to see how this goes. Um, when one of those who were reclining at the table with him, meaning Jesus, heard this, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Um, now we're going to pause there, and now I'm really conscious of saying that because somebody pointed it out to me. Um, and <laughs> um, never mind, I'll tell you later. Um, we're going to pause there, and and what he's saying is he's he's eating with a bunch of Jewish folks, and they say, look, um, everybody who gets to break bread, everybody who gets to join in the feast that God is going to set before humanity at the end of the world and at the resurrection when he rewards his faithful, like, those folks are in awesome shape, right? And these are very devout Jewish people Jesus is eating with. And Jesus is a very, probably a very tough dinner guest, right? <laughs> like, um, and and he, he responds in kind of a typical Jesus way. He says, but he said to him, a man was giving a big dinner and he invited many. And at the dinner... At the dinner hour, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, come, everything is ready now. Um, now, in the ancient world, the refrigerator has not been around that long. Y'all are aware of this, right? Like, like in grocery stores, relatively recent occurrence, right? Like, if you were going to have a dinner party, you had to prepare everything the day of, 
and you spent an enormous amount of money doing it, right? Particularly since this is like a subsistence economy for most folks, meaning what they grow is what they eat, and they get by just well enough to, to, to get by, and there's no like you know accumulating wealth or anything like that. This is a very poor world, and this man is is wealthy, and he sets out this party, and and for you to put on a party would be just enormously expensive, right? And it was an honor to be invited to that kind of party. Not everybody was invited. You, know, you wouldn't invite just anyone. Like if, you know, if you were having a thousand dollar a plate meal, you would look for, you know, you would look for really, you know, exemplary people to include, special people, um, maybe wealthy people. Um, and so in this setting, like huge deal that he's having a dinner party. Um, he goes on. He says, but they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I have bought a piece of land and I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to try them out. Please consider me excused. And another one said, I have married a wife and for that reason I cannot come. Uh, <laughs> I know it sounds... <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so there are two ways to look at this, at this list. Um, the first off is, these could all be terrible excuses, right? I mean, if I said, hey, you know, I'd come over, I bought a house, I got to go look at it. <laughs> Sound reasonable? No. <laughs> hey, I, I bought oxen, I've got to go and check them out. You know, you, you generally test drive a car before you buy it, right? I, I've never bought a piece of farm equipment, that's what these would be. Like, do you make sure farm equipment works before you start hauling, you know, paying for it? Usually, maybe. Craig doesn't. Um, <laughs> difficult. <laughs> um, there is the possibility. Now, there is the possibility, and there's a precedent in the ancient world where um, you could buy something on the assumption that it works, and the deal only comes through if it's worth having, right? So you'd say, well, I'll buy that piece of land if it's okay, and you'll like say the, the property is purchased, and you go look, and if you don't like it, you can return it. It's like Walmart, I guess. Um, so um, they, it is possible they're good excuses. It's also possible that they're terrible excuses, right? Um, the last one, I, I just got married, and for that reason, I cannot come. I, I, I got to say this gently too. Um, Every opportunity to create children was considered a big deal because children were such an asset in the ancient world. And so for us to duck away and go to a party means that we're not having children. Um, <laughs> if you don't understand, ask your mommy and daddy when you get home. <laughs> Michael, ask Jeremy. Um, <laughs> why would you do that to me? Um, and so, like, these can either be legitimate excuses or they could possibly be bad excuses. But at the bottom line of it, right, this would be the rough equivalent of, you know, like, like Larry and Ann inviting Jess and I over and saying, you know what, we are going to be eating, you know, the best of the best. This meal, honestly, we're talking $1,000 a plate today. And us being like, hey, you know what, we would come over, but um, the Christmas tree is on fire and uh, I got to mow the lawn and... Uh, yeah. Would it be insulting to them? I mean, kind of, right? 
I gotta wash my hair, I can't come. Um, <laughs> it, it, it would be insulting in our world. In this world, this kind of slight is absolutely unheard of, right? For them to do this, like because the Oriental cultures are very honor bound and they're very much about face and relationship and stuff, for you to not show up to a party you've been invited to would be the height of insult, right? It would be, on, it would be beyond just like blowing you off. It would be like blowing you off and spitting on your rug. You know, and, and I mean, it would, be, it would be huge, huge that this happened. Um, and so, like, as he tells the story, uh, it's definitely fictional because it wouldn't have happened. Like, it just would never have happened in the ancient world. And so these people all turn around and they say, you know what, you're not good enough, we're not coming. You know, our priority is elsewhere. And the slave came back and reported to his master. Then the head of the household became angry and said to his slave, Go out at once onto the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and crippled and blind and lame. Now, in Jewish culture, in ancient Jewish culture, there was this weird theological thing. And you see it once or twice when Jesus is teaching where people ask him questions assuming it. They assume that physical affliction was punishment from God. You see it with the blind man. Was this man born blind because... His parents sinned or because he sinned? And Jesus is like, neither. What is wrong with you people? Um, <laughs> so, like, for him to invite the poor, the lame, the, the blind, the crippled, like these people, um, the Jewish folks hearing this story would have been like, like, these are the bottom rungs of society, right? These are the people that are not only, like, not good enough to invite to an expensive dinner, but also... Um, they assumed that God was kind of ticked off at them because somebody was sinning, right? Everybody with me? Like, and so what this man does, instead of having the, the wealthy folks he invited, he brings in the rejects, right? He brings in the losers of, of the culture. He brings in, like, the, the, the towel boys and the, the water boys of the, you know, championship team. Like, these are, not, um, these are not, like, the cream of the crop. He picks kind of the, the bottom of the barrel. Um, and he invites them all in. And he goes on. And the slave said, Master, what you have commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the slave, Go out into the highways and along the hedges and compel them to come in so that my house will be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste of my dinner. Now, the highways and the hedges, like going out of the city, traveling in the ancient world was dangerous, Right? And not dangerous for the same reasons it's dangerous to travel here, like cross-country. But, you know, if you had a problem, you could die, right? You know, you break down along the way, and you've got, you know, 100 miles to go to get where you're going. Like, there's a real chance a wild animal might eat you. And that actually might happen in Montana. Um, or bandits could kill you. Or, I mean, this is a big deal for him to send his servants out to collect up folks out of the country was a big deal, but the symbolism of the, the story starts playing in here because parables is a parable. Everybody caught that, right? Um, this is a parable, and parables are generally loaded with symbolism. And so he's sitting with these really devout Jewish folks. Um, many of them are Pharisees, and they probably had an attitude of, God is inviting me in because I'm awesome, right? And me is more important than God. And it was very often the case with the Pharisees. And you see, that's one of the big criticisms Jesus levels against them. And so when Jesus says, listen, those who are invited, meaning the Jewish people, because the Jewish people were God's chosen people. He picked them out. He said, y'all are my people, 
and I am coming to gather you up, and I love you and everything else. And he you know, blessed them and gave them great things, and they just rebelled against him over and over and over again. And so he tells a story. The people who are invited to the kingdom are the Jewish people. They're the chosen people. And they respond by saying, no, thanks. Not coming. <laughs> well, it sounds great, God. Glad you sent your son. I really got some work to do. I just got married. You know, um, it, it, it's insulting, right? I mean, the response they had to God's son, I mean, to, to, to this precious gift that God gives us on Christmas, their response is, it's not good enough. I don't want it. Um, and so who God invites is, first, he invites the rejects of the country, the Jewish folks who did not have it together, Right? And so when we talk about crippled and all this, like part of what he's talking about is sinners. He's talking about the people that nobody invites, right? He's talking about the people that nobody wants. Um, you could almost start inserting phrases like prostitute or town drunk or um, you know, criminal, tax collector, because these are the s- sorts of folks that Jesus associated with in his ministry. And so like, who does God invite in when the Jews won't show up? He invites the chosen people that nobody wants. And there's still room, so who does he invite? He invites foreigners basically, because he goes out of town to get them, and he invites foreigners. And in the ancient world, nationality was huge. I mean, we're pretty big on it here. I, you know, we, we sing about being proud to be Americans and everything else. In the ancient world, it went beyond that, because if you were a foreigner, like you didn't have – there were all sorts of things that were different about you. You didn't have the same rights. You didn't have the same, like, like privileges. You, you might be severely mistreated, and you could get away with it because you were a foreigner. A lot of times Jewish folks figured that foreigners were all going to hell anyway, not making it up. Um, it's also implied that pagans were a part of this group, people who didn't know God and were invited in. Um, so what's he talking about here? What's this story have to do with Christmas, Eric? Um, next Sunday evening we're going to have a birthday party for Jesus, right? We are going to have a party where we celebrate that God's son was born Maybe not on December 25th, but <laughs> born and came to this world, that God stepped into this world to save us. Um, and we're going to look at all these different folks who are invited. And if you look at the original nativity scene, like who was invited, we're going to start with um, the shepherds, right? Uh, this is the verse that she read this morning. You also know it from Charlie Brown Christmas special. Uh, Luke 2, 8 through 17. This will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths lying in a manger, and suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on the earth peace amongst men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Now, shepherds, um, I'm going to use the illustration. This guy looks pretty okay, right? Um, There's a couple of important things to note here. Sheep stink. It's it's true, right? Sheep smell bad. Sheep smell worse than children. Like they they are greasy, they are stinky, they are kind of yucky. And living as a shepherd meant that you lived in the field with the sheep, right? So people who live outside generally smell like sheep, probably, especially if they're around them all the time. These are folks who um, would have been dirty. They would have been um, – there was generally accepted in Jewish culture that shepherds were shiftless, like meaning that they were crooked. 
Um, they, they could not participate in Jewish religious life because they lived in fields and they couldn't go into town because if you went into town, what happened to your sheep? They wandered off because sheep are dumb. Um, and so, like, the shepherd looks nice in the picture, but, like, like, shepherds were so poorly thought of in Jewish culture, they weren't allowed to testify in court. So if you had a group of shepherds around you and you murdered someone, the shepherds couldn't testify that you did it. Like, <laughs> that bad. Um, these are the people that God invited to see the birth of his son. Like, the lowest of the low in culture. Um, we go on, uh, Matthew 2, 1 to 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw a star in the east, and we have come to worship him. We're going to skip ahead in the story. They, Herod has this plan to kill Jesus and tries to set it up and use the Magi to make it happen. Um, the Magi show up where Jesus is born after hearing the king. They went on their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly and with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So, like, magi, sounds kind of nice, right? Or we three kings... Sounds kind of nice. Um, in reality, first off, these guys were foreigners. Foreigners were not well thought of by the, Isra- the Israelites. They didn't like them, right? If you're an out-of-towner, you know, you, you, you weren't welcome. Like, like, not friend. The other thing is that they, Magi, probably they were Zoroastrian, which is like an ancient religion, meaning they weren't Jewish. So, like, foreigner is pretty low on the scale. Pagan, even lower. Right? So who does God invite to see the birth of his son so far? Shepherds. Stinky, smelly, like dishonest, shiftless shepherds and pagan foreigners who are probably astrologers. Like, these sort of people you invite to your parties? I mean, I I don't want Canadians at my house. (laughs) And that's Canadians. I'm so sorry. I don't know why I said that. Because it's foreigners. <laughs> um, but but the, these were just not the people you invited. When, when we look at the story of the, the banquet, God invites, God invites first his own people. And honestly, his people reject him. And after that, God says, listen, because my own people won't show up, I'm going to invite the uninvited. Right? I'm going to invite the people who don't deserve to come. I'm going to invite the, the ugly, the lame, the poor, the rejects, the people nobody has over, and these are the ones who are going to be there. And that's who's there at the birth of Christ. If you go and look at Jesus' ministry, actually, oh, not yet. Um, if you go and look at Jesus' ministry, Jesus um, was accused regularly of being a drunk, right? Um, because he associated with people who drank, right? And the religious people wouldn't have that. And so, like, Jesus, you know, probably was fairly well comfortable around the, the, the town drunks, right? We know that some of his followers were prostitutes who converted. Like, that's not an easy thing to just, like, like, deal with, right? I mean, if I started hanging out with prostitutes, how would the church respond? 
How would my wife respond? <laughs> Not well, right? But these are the people that God invites to the party in the end. The folks that nobody wants around. As we prepare for Christmas, as we, we sing and we celebrate, um, my challenge for you is this. Um, how does this change who you are and who the folks around you are? Um, I, I don't know about you guys, but I got a pile of sin that, you know, I, I, I hope I don't have to face God over, right? And God invites me to the party because I'm forgiven in Christ. Um, there are times I've, I've fallen in with groups of folks that, you know, people generally don't like. Because of Jesus, I'm invited. Because of God's mercy, I'm invited. Um, drug addicts, drunks, um, pornography addicts, uh, folks who cheat on their spouses, people who steal, people who lie, people who um, kill, people who, who rebel are invited. And they're invited to one of the greatest moments in history, not because they are great, but because God is great. And it goes beyond that then. It means that when I look at the neighbor, I don't get to look at the neighbor and say, I don't like you because of these reasons, right? I don't like you because I think you're dishonest. I don't like you because I think you're annoying. I don't like you because you're um, whatever. I don't get to look at the neighbor that way because if I am, I'm taking God's spot, right? And when God sent his son, he looks at us and says, I love you. I will do anything to bring you back, including, like, allow my son to die in your place. Um, Christmas is the great gilded invitation. It's not even just like a paper invitation. You show up in the mail. Angels sang in the sky for the shepherds to show up. I mean, I'm trying to think of the nicest invitation I ever got to a party. It was probably the invitation to my own wedding. I don't know. Like, I, I haven't been invited to many parties. <laughs> but, but, you know, I'm trying to think of the best things I've been invited to, and I can't compare anything to angels singing overhead and saying, hey, you know, human dirt in the field next to sheep, come on in. You know, come enjoy this. And so when I look at my neighbor, um, I have to ask myself, am I seeing them the way that Jesus sees them? Flaws, wrinkles, mess and all. And so like as we go out of here today, my challenge for you is um, that Christmas would change everything for you. First off, that you would look at yourself and say, in Christ, I have value. In Christ, I'm redeemed. In Christ, all of that garbage that I have been and done and seen is no more, and I'm made new. So that's you. And then looking out, looking at your neighbor, looking at the worst people you know, turning on the TV and seeing the worst people in the world and looking at them and saying, Jesus died for them the same way he died for me. We don't get to judge. We don't get to, you know, hate we're required to love because he loved us first. And so as you go out of here today, like my prayer and my challenge is that Christmas would change everything about who you are and how you see the world around you. Because if it's the changing point, the pivotal point in human history, it's got to affect us. Isaiah closes, or Isaiah 55, he's talking about the coming of Jesus like, in 52, like on through like 57 or something, I've, um, 55, 1 to 7, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. 
you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for things that are not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. Um, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercy shown to David. So like Isaiah starts out, he says, listen, every one of you, if you're hungry, if you're thirsty, if you're empty, if you're crying out inside for something more, you know, come to the party. Show up and be fed. Show up and be taken care of. He goes on, behold, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you will call a nation you do not know, and a nation which knows you not will run to you, because the Lord your God, even the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his ways and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord, and he will have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. So he says, listen, calling a nation that does not know him and that he does not know. That's talking about folks who don't know Jesus, right? That's talking about sinners. It's talking about the worst amongst us. And so who does God call through Jesus? The people who don't know him and that he doesn't know. And he calls them in and he pardons them and he sets them right. Christmas changes everything. It should change you through and through. It should change how you deal with each other. It should change how you deal with yourself. Let's close in prayer. And Do we have a last song? And we have a final song. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning that we would um, live different, that we would become different through the gift of Christ, through your grace and your forgiveness given to us. Um, I pray that you would just touch our hearts, our souls, and our minds um, and make us different inside. And further, Lord, that you would help us to see each other differently and love each other deeply um, because of the gift that we received that first Christmas. Amen.